Well, Merry Christmas, Wayside. Well, uh, I don't know if you know, Christmas is on Wednesday, so uh, if you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, you've procrastinated about as long as you possibly can. And so join me and start, you know, you go tomorrow. Um, I used to get all stressed about that because I always do my Christmas shopping last second, but then I was sanctified and realized that God fashioned me in the womb uh, to go Christmas shopping at the last second, and I'm good at it, okay? So, so now I don't worry about it. Um, but man, I, I love this season. Uh, I love it all. I love, I love the gift giving. I love the, the Christmas cookies. I love the Christmas music. I mean, choir, orchestra, good night. That was good stuff. Um, I love the Christmas lights. Love the family time. Love the Christmas Eve wayside services. I love it all. Um, but as much as I love Christmas, I'm tempted just like everybody else that's here to just go through the motions to read the scriptures, to sing the songs, yet miss out on the unique opportunity that we have to worship Christ and experience the joy that we are meant to experience in this season. And so I want us to, just to start our time praying, um, just that we would ask God uh, to give us fresh thoughts, that he'd give us new joy as we reflect on one of the famous Christmas passages, Luke chapter 2. And so what I'd like for you to do is just take a moment and just pray silently in your seat and just ask that that God would speak to you through his word. And so if you would do that right now, that'd be great. If you would, go ahead and pray for the person next to you. And do that silently as well, but pray that God would reveal himself to them. And then selfishly, I'll take some of that too. So if you'll pray for me and ask that God would give me clarity of thought. Well, Father, we love you. And we want to invite you right now to to minister to us through your word. And so we want to ask, would you please encourage our hearts? Would you steady our faith? And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, growing up, uh, my family loved to go snow skiing. And if you've ever been snow skiing, you know you got to get on one of those ski lifts in order to get to the top of the mountain. And so this one year... Uh, When I was like 10 or 11 years old, I was on one of those two-seaters with my mom. And on this particular ski lift, um, it it had a drop-off point halfway. And then it would keep going to the top of the mountain. And for whatever reason, I didn't get the message from my mom that we were not going to get off at the halfway point. But instead, we were going to stay on the ski lift and go all the way to the top of the mountain. And so when we got to that halfway point, I just, I went ahead and got on off. Okay. And, uh, that took my mom by surprise. And so, uh, she wasn't prepared for that. And so I got off and, uh, I looked back up and my mom was about 10 feet in the air and she's got one of them crazy mom looks, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's terrifying. And I realized that in that moment that my mom was about to do something not wise. Okay. And uh, all of a sudden, I see she starts inching her way to the edge of her seat. And then she just jumps. She supermans that thing. And, uh, and she lands on her belly, belly flop on the, on the ground, okay? Her skis went everywhere. Her hat went everywhere. 
gloves. I mean, she looked like a mess. And, uh, and I saw she did that, and I was like, I, I, that's not my mom. And so I just kept going, <laughs> kept going down the mountain. And somehow she survived the fall and uh, wasn't hurt at all. I remember my aunt and I, we went on another ski lift later that day, and we heard these skiers behind us going, hey, did you hear about that crazy woman? <laughs> Jumped off the ski lift. That's my mom, okay? She's right over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the natural question most people want to know is, is, why did she do that? <laughs> like, is she nuts? A little bit, okay? Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The plan that had been instructed to me was to go to the top of the mountain. That's what I was supposed to do. But unfortunately, I didn't listen, which resulted in me getting off at the wrong spot. And this choice of mine hindered me from getting to the right destination. And in my mom's mind, there was only one way to fix that problem. And even though she would be considered a fool by many and cause herself much pain, she disengaged herself from the comfort of her ski lift and she jumped in order to demonstrate her love. And that, my friends, relates really well to the story of Christmas. In fact, I'd say that relates really well to the story of mankind, to the story of Scripture. Because what the Bible tells us is that God had a good plan for every single one of us. He said, come follow me and I'll give you life. I'll give you everything that you need. But the Scriptures say that every single one of us have gone astray and we've gotten off on the wrong spot. We've all chosen to sin. And as a result of that sin, there's now eternal separation between us and God. And the bad news is we don't have the capability to fix ourselves. There's no possible way that we can earn our way back to God. And so the Bible reveals that there's only one way to fix the problem. God would have to come down to us. And so the Bible shows us that the God who sits in the heavens humbled himself by becoming man. And even though he would look like a fool to many and cause himself much pain as he marched towards the cross, he did so willingly in order to bring us back to him. That's the story of scripture. And that's what separates Christianity from any other religion in the world. I love the way David Platt puts it. He says, many people all over the world They view God sitting on top of this mountain. And some may choose to go this way. Others may choose to go that way. But in the end, we all get to the same place. But what Christmas surprisingly shows us is that's not true. It says that the God who's on top of the mountain made his way down from the mountain in order to be with his people and show them the way. That's Christmas. That's Jesus. It's not about us trying to find our way to God. Instead, it's about a gracious God who has come down to us. Jesus says, you don't need to figure out a way to God because I am the way. Just trust me. I love the short poem that goes like this. It says, the king of heaven exchanged his throne for a cradle. The almighty swaddled himself with vulnerability. The creator entered into his own creation. The author put himself on the page. The infinite became an infant, and the giver became the gift. St. Augustine said long ago, Jesus was created of a mother whom he created. 
He was carried by hands that he formed. That's the splendor and majesty of Christmas. God is not some distant God who sits up in the heavens. No, the Bible says that God, propelled by his love, drew near to us, and he became Emmanuel, God with us. That's the good news of Christmas. So if you're not smiling after today's sermon, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Uh, There's something really wrong with you uh, because this good news should produce great joy. So let's read some of the most familiar and happy words of Christmas, which are found in Luke chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the first seven verses because you all know the story. The first seven verses describe for us the birth of Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary in the little town of Bethlehem where he had no place to lay his head. So they stayed in an animal stable or a manger, more than likely a cave, where Jesus was laid in a feeding trough. There were no fireworks when the baby was born. Nobody around them noticed anything significant about this couple or this child. But that would all change in verse 8, which is where we're going to pick up the story. It says this, In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, And keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David. There has been born for you a savior. Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. If if you're reading through, we'll stop right there. If If you're reading through Luke 2, you'll notice that there's a shift in the story when you get to verse 8. It goes from Joseph and Mary in a manger to some anonymous shepherds in the fields who are watching their flocks by night. And we don't know much about these shepherds. Some commentators will say that these shepherds during this time were kind of at the bottom of the social order. Like people didn't like them. People didn't trust them. They're a bunch of crooks and thieves. And then other commentators will say, no, these shepherds aren't bad people. They're just ordinary Everyday common folk. Regardless, I think it's fitting that the good news about God's good shepherd, who would become the sacrificial lamb of God, would be given through shepherds. But these shepherds are just doing their job. They're watching their flock. They're counting their sheep. They're looking out for predators. Just another night's work for these nameless shepherds. And as they go about doing their work, verse 9 says that suddenly an angel, singular, stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I want you to take note that when the angel of the Lord appeared and God's glory with it, it came upon the shepherds suddenly. It caught them off guard, which is a common theme throughout Luke. It's a common theme throughout the Bible. Often, God will wait for long periods of time in order to act. But when he does, it happens suddenly. And I think it's wise 
for us to examine how God has previously acted in history in order to anticipate what he will one day do in the future. Mark 13, 36 says this, Keep watch in case the master, King Jesus, should come suddenly and find you asleep. Again in Acts 2, 2, when the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were huddled together praying and then suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. A couple chapters later in Acts 9, 3, when Saul was persecuting Christians on the road to Damascus, it says that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in an instant, Saul became Paul as his life was turned upside down for the glory of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, as Paul talks about the future day of the Lord, where Christ is going to come back and he's going to judge all people, he says, in that day, in the near future, it's going to come upon us suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and no one will be able to escape. And the question that I have for our church during this Christmas season is, are you ready? Are you ready? Will his coming catch you off guard or do you anticipate it? Because what Christmas Christmas reminds us of is, yes, our God has come, but he ain't done yet. And one day he's going to come again. And when he does, it will happen suddenly. And that's what happens in this passage. The angel of the Lord appeared suddenly. God's glory was all around. And the result is the shepherds are absolutely terrified. You know, I think it's kind of funny, like for some reason in our culture, um, angels are always pictured as these really cute, cuddly babies that are just kind of floating around. Um, Totally unbiblical, okay? Um, I would say, as you read scripture, that angels aren't cute and cuddly at all. In fact, they're strong and mighty, okay? And almost every encounter with angels in the Bible is absolutely terrifying. Every time someone sees an angel, they say, what in the world is that, okay? Um, And just imagine, like, the shepherds are chilling in the fields. It's pitch black. Then, boom, super bright light, angel of the Lord is standing before them. It's pretty much how I wake up my four-year-old daughter every morning, okay? <laughs> She's sleeping, it's dark. I bust on the lights. She starts screaming, who are you? Where am I? And I'm like, no, no, chill. It's okay. I bring good news. Breakfast is ready, okay? <laughs> it's essentially what goes on here. It's interesting that it says that the glory of the Lord was shining all around them. And the best definition for the word glory is the word weight. So you can imagine the weight of the Lord was all around them and his presence was heavy. Notice that when God's glory showed up, when his weight showed up, darkness disappeared and humans trembled. Because when the glory of God shows up, it puts things in their proper place. And I would argue that one of the reasons God's glory is so terrifying is because God's glory exposes us for who we really are. When God's glory shows up, you can't hide. 
Every secret is exposed. Every flaw is revealed. Everybody's swagger, everybody's pompous attitude, every ounce of self-justification and pride is swallowed up in an instant when the glory of God enters the room. That's why Isaiah cries out in Isaiah 6, when the glory of God is revealed to him, he says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips who lives among an unclean people. When the glory of God shows up, the natural reaction is I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of something this holy. That's the appropriate response. The initial reaction to God's glory is rightfully fear. And that's why Joseph and Mary responded in fear when they found out from the angel that they are going to be the earthly parents of the Almighty. It's why the disciples trembled in fear when Jesus unveiled his glory at the transfiguration. Fear is the natural response when you encounter the radiance and weight of God's glory. But praise be to God. While fear is the natural response to God's glory, our God desires to interact with his people, which is why the angel begins by calming the shepherd's fear. Um, I remember when I used to coach, I'd, I'd often bring players into my office in order to talk with them. And a lot of the times they'd come in and they'd have their head down. And they'd sit down, they're just scared to death about what I was about to say. And so usually the first words that would come out of my mouth, i say, hey, 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 you're not in trouble. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I just want to talk to you about something. And you would see their head lift up as this weight of condemnation was lifted. And then they would listen to what I had to say. And the same thing happens here. The angel starts by saying, don't be afraid, which is honestly an incredible statement. Because you and I have every reason in the world to be afraid of a holy God who hates sin and abhors evil. So the question is, how is it possible not to fear a holy God? Well, the angel tells us. He says, you don't need to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The angel goes on to say, the reason... You are able to stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God is because today in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice that it says for today. Not some imaginary day, but a real historical day. A day in which Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. A day when a census was taken that forced Joseph and Mary to migrate to Bethlehem. Like a real historical day. I remember being on a mission trip in China. And I was talking to this one guy about Jesus. And I'd asked if he'd ever heard of him before. And he said, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. He's the main character in a made-up story. After that, I asked him, I said, what year is it? He looked at me kind of strangely. He says, 2011, why? I said, do you know what your whole calendar system is based off of? He said, no, that was never taught to me. I said, your whole calendar system is based off a real historical person named Jesus Christ who had such an impact on this world that your calendar is based off of him. And what he says is he came to this earth 2,000 years ago to live the life that you couldn't live, to die for your sins, and then he rose from the dead. Would you like to know more? He said, yeah, that would be nice. 
the birth of Jesus happened on a real day in a real city. He was not born in Narnia. He wasn't born in Middle Earth or in a galaxy far, far away. No, Jesus was born in a city that still exists to this day. According to Google Maps, it's about 7,247 miles east of San Antonio. Go check it out. A city where Jesse lived, the father of David, the great king of Israel. A city called Bethlehem, in which Micah prophesies about in Micah 5.2, which happened 700 plus years before the birth of Jesus, where he foretells a day that's coming where a great ruler would be born from the tribe of Judah. And guess what? Records show that this ruler was born just as it was predicted. In that real city, on that real day, a Savior was born, who is Christ the Lord. And he's the real deal. (laughs) This is the only time in all the Bible where all three of these titles are combined into this mega title. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The reason this announcement is such good news is because God didn't send a judge. God didn't send a soldier. God didn't send us a reformer. No, God sent what man desperately needed, a savior. Because the Bible says, if you've ever sinned against God, then you are in dire need of saving. Because only God can forgive sins against God. But the good news is God wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive me. He wants to save you. He wants to save me. In fact, that's why he came. 1 John 3, 5 says this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. A couple verses later in 1 John 3, 8, it says that he appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil, which is why Jesus went to the cross. It's why he rose from the dead, because he tells the devil and he tells our sin, I've won. And that's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. The Son of God became human in order to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah, that's Christmas. And if that doesn't make you want to leap for joy, I got nothing else for you. (laughs) If you're awesome, if you think you're awesome, then this really isn't that great of news. But if you're like me and you understand the depths of your sin, then it's the greatest news in the entire cosmos. The reason you and I don't need to be afraid is because God made a way for us even when we couldn't make a way ourselves. We need not be afraid because the God on top of the mountain came down from the mountain in order to show us the way. But then check it, it says that this good news will be for all the people. You catch that? Not just a certain type of person. No, it's good news for all people. It's good news for the poor man, and it's good news for the rich man. This gospel is for the high school dropout, and it's also for the PhD student. This good news is for the healthy, and it's also for the disabled. It's for the introvert, and it's also for the extrovert. This gospel is for the white man as well as the black man. It's for the fighting Texas Aggie. And lo and behold, it's also for the Texas Longhorn. But watch out, don't throw anything at me. This good news is for the Republican. And it's also for the Democrat. 
You see, this gospel knows no bounds. It cuts across every ethnicity. It cuts through every socioeconomic line. It goes through every social class. It fears no political regime. It has no linguistic barriers. This good news is for every tribe. It's for every tongue. And it's for every nation. Which means... Put your name in there. This gospel's for you. This gospel's for me. Because it's good news for all people. And that's why you and I can smile this morning. Because that means we have hope. That's why Christmas is so beautiful. It's a reminder that God is not mad at us. He's not mad at us. He's actually for us. He still loves us. That's why he came. And we can trust him because he's the Christ, meaning he's the anointed one that all the prophets talked about for hundreds and thousands of years. In him, all the promises of God will be fulfilled. He's trustworthy. Isaiah 9, 6 says this about the Christ who would be exalted above all others. It says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And the angel tells the shepherds, that's who this child is. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. And by golly, he's the Lord. Which makes the statement in verse 12 pretty startling. Because after hearing this, the shepherds would be like, surely this child has been born in a palace. But the angel's like, no, no, no. You'll find the King of kings and the Lord of lords sleeping in a nasty animal stall. From the very beginning... It's easy to see that this Messiah is not going to fit expectations. He was born in an animal room, and he will die with robbers. For it was Jesus who preached that those who wish to be first must be last, because Jesus didn't come to be served. No, he came to serve and give his life as a ransom to many. But I love that that after the angel gets done preaching the gospel to the shepherds, the angelic choir of heaven came on for the closing hymn where they give glory to God in the highest and peace among men. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus came to bring us was peace. It was peace. Jesus says this in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the, war, as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I remember when I was coaching, uh, there's this one coach I, I coached with, and, and we were scouting another team for the high school that our kids fed into. And he was about to retire. And I asked him, I said, hey, coach, like, wh- what are you hoping to gain from retirement? And he thought long and hard. And he said, youngin, he said, honestly, I just want to find peace. That's all I want. I just want peace. And I think, I think his response, it was so honest. I think it's a response that so many of us resonate with, at least I do. Because I think at the end of the day, 
what you and I really want is we just want peace. Like that's what we're searching for. Like we, we just want, we want to find peace in our souls. We want to find peace in our, in our mind. And so what I want to do is I want to close our time this morning just reflecting on the peace that God grants us and offers us through Christ because that's why he came. That's why he died on the cross and that's why he's forgiven us of our sins is so that you and I could have peace. I've been reading a, uh, a daily Christmas Advent devotional during the month of December called A Dawning of Indestructible Joy by John Piper, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, and in that devotional, he talks about three different ways followers of Christ were meant to enjoy peace. And um, I got real emotional as I read through it. So I just want to share it with you. And so if you're not taking notes, this is a good time to take notes. If you don't want to, that's fine. Just buy that devotional, okay? And you can read it. Um, but number one, the first type of peace that God wants us to experience is peace with God, okay? The first type of peace that God wants you to experience, especially during Christmas, is peace with God. Romans 5.1 is, is key here. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I could preach a whole sermon on justification, okay? Um, but in a nutshell, being justified means that God has declared you just in his sight. Meaning your account has been cleared. God has granted you a clean record. You are pure in his sight because of Jesus. And the way he does this is he allows Jesus to take your place on the cross. And while he's on the cross, all of your sin, I want you to think about your sin. The sins that you struggle with, think about that sin. All of that sin was imputed onto Jesus while he was on the cross. And as he took the payment for your sins, God says, if you will believe in Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Christ will be imputed to you. Not because of your performance, not because of anything that you do. It's solely by faith. Not by works, not by church tradition, not by singing in the choir. Faith. That's it. And the result of this faith is peace with God. Meaning that God's anger is put away at your sin. And through faith, God becomes our friend. He becomes our greatest ally. He becomes our heavenly father. We don't need to be afraid of God anymore because he's on our side. There's peace. That's number one. If you don't get that one, two and three, what I'm about to share doesn't matter. You got to start there. And I want to encourage if you're here this morning and you realize that you don't have peace with God, that's available for you today if you will trust in Jesus. You don't have to do anything but believe. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. But number two, since for those of us that have been justified by God, the second type of peace we get to experience as followers of Christ is peace with ourselves. So number one, peace with God. Number two is peace with ourselves. The key verse here is Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which a lot of you know by heart. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The picture here is that our hearts and our minds are constantly under assault by all of these negative thoughts and feelings that threaten our peace. And a, a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about because even as I'm up here sharing and preaching, like your mind is filled with so much turmoil. There's so much anxiety. There's so much fear. And you could even cry as I'm talking about this because you feel the weight of this anxiety. But Paul says that God wants believers in Christ to understand that God is at all times, is at all times guarding our hearts and our minds with his peace in ways that we cannot comprehend. Peace is not dependent upon a feeling. Peace is a reality for those of us who have trusted in Christ. And Paul says, pray and remind yourself of this often Because God's peace is going to steady you. It's going to protect you. It's going to guide you for the rest of your life because he's committed to your good. Anxiety is not going to have the last word for those of us that trust in Jesus. God will grant us the strength necessary to carry on. And so you pray often and remind yourself of that. And that's something we can do right now. As believers in Christ, we can come before God we can give our anxieties to him. We can ask him to help us and we, have, we can have confidence that he will because he loves us and he wants to grant us peace. Then number three, the last form of peace that God wants us to experience, and we'll end on this, is peace with others. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, and then lastly, peace with others. Now I realize we can't have peace with everybody. I'm fully aware of Romans 12, 18, where it says that if possible... Be at peace with all people. Because with some people, it ain't possible, okay? And some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to be around some of those people at Christmas, okay? And I realize, okay, I realize that for for some of you, uh, Christmas can be really awkward. And it can be really painful. Because you're around certain family members that remind you of some of the very real pain that happened in the past. Or maybe some of the very real pain that's happening right now. And it's easy to let those people steal your peace and create all sorts of nasty bitterness in your heart and your mind. And that's not what God wants for you this Christmas. That's not what God wants for you. And so the way that you combat those thoughts and those feelings when they come is you contemplate deeply on the fact that God has forgiven you. God has forgiven me, even when I didn't deserve it. You and I deserve nothing from God, yet he grants us everything through Christ. And as you cultivate those thoughts, you will naturally respond to others in a more patient, loving, tender, and forgiving manner. Because those who get and understand grace will naturally give it away to others. Even if that grace is thrown back in your face. Because guess what? Jesus knows exactly what that's like too. And he gave it anyways. John Piper goes on to say, keep being amazed that your wrongs have been forgiven. And that'll keep your heart from growing cold. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. 
peace with others. That's the glory of Christmas, church. Like I said, if you're not smiling after today's sermon, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) But church, I hope that you walk out of here knowing that your God loves you. There's peace for you. You can rest in him. And yes, our God has come, but he's not done yet. One day he's gonna come again and he's gonna fix everything that's wrong with this world and that's wrong with you and I. So we love you, church. But more importantly, know that our God loves you. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I know God, come talk to us. There's hope for you. There's peace for you. God offers that for you this Christmas. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for this time. As we studied your word and we're grateful for the reminders, but God, we're also grateful that the word, they're not just reminders, there's power in the word. And it always accomplishes its purpose. And God, I pray that right now that you would accomplish your purposes with this church. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ, God, don't let them leave the room until they've dealt with you. Would you remind them and show them that they cannot fix themselves? They cannot earn their way to you. The only way we're granted salvation is by grace, and it's by believing in that grace. And so, God, I pray you do that right now. And for the rest of us, Lord, those of us that do believe, God, I think all of us would agree, we want to experience your peace. We want your peace, God. Would you help us to taste it? Would you help us to feel it, God? Would you help us to know it? So that we can be vessels of peace with our families and our friends. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.